Hello, thank you for tuning in to the Cooperland podcast. I'm your host, Cooperland, and got a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. First, if you can, if you're not already, please go follow on Twitter and Instagram, fourpointer underscore net. Coming soon with the website. Should be, hopefully, by the end of this weekend, if I can get that out. Talking about today, the first two playoff games of each series in the NBA playoffs, and it's been truly exciting so far. Also, we're going to be talking about the WNBA because it has seen a massive increase in viewership so far this season. I'm excited to talk about that. Going to talk about Tim Tebow and the controversy with him being in Jacksonville and his jersey. Also going to lead that into some talk about Jay Cole in the Basketball African League and also a little bit of music talk this episode with a little bit of Top Shot and 2K talk to end it as well. So let's get it. have started and boy has it been fun so far except for Brooklyn and Celtics um, but every other series to me has been at least somewhat interesting so far let's start talking about it first I want to talk about the one that's been the most fascinating to me so far and that is Knicks Hawks this has some rivalry brewing potential here because that first game when Trey Young hit that floater to win the game, after they decided to sub in Frank Nilkina just for the last possession to Garden, which was beyond stupid, but Trey Young broke him down easy, got the floater, and talked his shit too. Silencing the crowd, making Spike Lee humble himself. It was very fun to watch that, and especially with the way the Knicks came out, responded in game two. They had a great game. Trey Young still had a good one, but the Knicks were able to overcome it because Derrick Rose off the bench with 26 points. I mean, it is cool to see him still producing this late to his career despite all the injury past he has. He has really been a key factor for the Knicks, and they would not have won game two without him. So it's fun to see, not vintage D. Rose, as we talked about last episode, but this new D. Rose compete and shine in a playoff setting was really fun. But if I'm the Knicks, I still have a lot of questions in this series because Julius Randle has struggled so far, man. DeAndre Hunter, I believe, has held Randle to three of nine shooting so far and John Collins has done a solid job on him as well. I'm interested to see if Julius Randle can move past both those guys and put up a game like we know him to have and like he had against the Hawks earlier this season. He is an outstanding player, one most improved player for a reason. Can he put up those numbers in the playoffs though? That still remains to be seen. If I'm the Knicks, I love Trey Young being confident in shooting because the Hawks have so many weapons. Bogdanovich, Capella, Collins, Hunter, Kevin Horger off the bench, Lou Will. They just have so many guys that can score. Gallinari. So if I'm the Knicks, I love Trey Young forcing the ball. I fear Trey Young's playmaking and would rather see him drop a game where he's, say, 30 points but only like four assists than a game where he's 20 points. 18 points, but he's got 10 or 12. That to me means that the Hawks are moving the ball a little better. So if I'm them, I keep doing single coverage on Trey Young. Don't let him get into his distributor mode because that is when the Hawks are truly dangerous. And if I'm the Hawks, I just love the way that they have been fighting through this series, even though clearly the Knicks have controlled like the play style of the game as they've been lower pace and low scoring games. But I think if you're Atlanta, you got to love how you played. You took a game from the Knicks in their home court, and now you're going back to Atlanta tied 1-1 with potential to go up 3-1 if you can hit those. So I'm excited to see how these next few games turn out. But so far, it's been just as good a series as we hoped. Really competitive. And on to the Wizards-Sixers series, which the first game, the Wizards hung in there. 
I mean, I don't know if I ever thought they were going to win, but they hung in there for a good amount of that game. And how did the Sixers respond? Game two, they blew them out. And that's the Sixers we know. Ben Simmons had a great game. Can we get games like that from consistently is what we need. I mean, he played great game one too, but the way he was scoring in game two is a good development for Philly. And if you can get 16 to 20 a game, out of Zen Simmons in a Brooklyn Nets or Milwaukee Bucks series, I think you have a good shot at winning that series. Ben Simmons, you know what he does on the defensive end. You know what he does past the ball and controlling the pace of the game. But if he can also score as well, they are going to be really tough to be in the playoffs. And as for the Wizards, they, I think I talked about this in the preview. They just don't have enough around Russ and Beal. I mean, Hachimura is okay, but Alex Led and Round the Way and Round NATO are playoff starters, which is absurd. I I no disrespect to those guys that are great talents. They you know and they're in the NBA and everything, but if they're starting for your team in the playoffs, you're probably not going to be going too far. You know, Westbrook's trying his best. He had an inefficient night last night. It could be that he's a little burnt out from having to carry this team during the regular season with times where Beal's out and, and just in general. So that's what should be, like I said, a gentleman's sweep or even a sweep potentially. The 76ers are the real deal, and they should go on, hopefully, to win the, win the East Finals. Heat Bucks, the Bucks have came out to play. Uh, I predicted Bucks in six, and it looks like there's a chance it ends before that. They have just done an outstanding job. And the main difference in this series, I notice, is, is Drew Holiday. You know, he is just such an upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. It's not even close. Eric Bledsoe is a fine NBA player, but he's another one of those guys where if he's starting on your team, you're probably not winning a championship. He's more like a uh, six-man-off-the-bench type of role would be better for him. But Drew Holiday is a guy that can start on your championship team. He's been playing great defensively on Butler so far this series. Also, putting up some numbers on offense, too. That's something you couldn't say for Blitz all the time. And also spacing, ball handling is a little better. Just a little bit better at everything. And it's an upgrade you totally see on the court. As they won the game one on a nice Chris Middleton buzzer beater. I love that. Chris Middleton's an extremely underrated player. And it's good for him to get some national recognition. But game two, they blew them out the water. And so if you're in Miami, one, you got to get Butler going. Butler just has struggled so far and you need a big game from him if you want a chance to come back in this series but you need to start shooting more threes when Brooke Lopez is on the court because when Brooke Lopez is on the court he doesn't he drop coverages every time so if you're not shooting threes now I, I don't want Butler to pull up from three by any means or Adebayo or someone but you know Goran Dragic, Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, these guys need to be shooting way more threes. And you have to put pressure on them to not play Brooke Lopez out there because he just controls the paint when he's there. He's a nice presence down low. And with Giannis coming to help off too, that paint, it's really hard to score. So you need to get those shooters out there. You need to space them out. And maybe you might have a chance to come back in the series. But Brooklyn or uh, Milwaukee so far has just been flat-out dominant, and honestly, I look for that to continue. I don't see Jimmy all of a sudden having this this excellent game. He's going to play better, but he's not going to put up those numbers he put up in the finals last year. I don't see that happening. This team is just too good on defense on the perimeter. On to Brooklyn Celtics. Yeah, I mentioned it a little bit briefly in the beginning. This one's been boring. Robert Williams did have a cool game in game one with all the blocks he had. That was fun to watch, but it's a sweep, and we all we all see it. The Nets are just so talented, so much firepower on offense that it's impossible for most teams to keep up, especially Boston with Jalen Brown out. I mean, I don't expect them to win a game, and I expect it to be a offseason of change for Boston. I don't know if that means on a coaching level, a GM level, roster level, but there's definitely going to be some changes from this team because exiting in the first round after a team that's been, you know, in the conference finals a lot through the past few years, it's not a good look. So 
I expect there to be some drastic changes there in Boston in the offseason. Out West, I want to start with my favorite series, obviously because my team's in it, but also because it's been a good one. Lakers-Suns. And you see why Vogel is as good of a coach as he is in this series. He, he did stick with the Andre Drummond at center lineup to start the game, but in the end, when it mattered most, you had AD at the five. And... I expect that to be something we see more and more of as the playoffs go on, just like we did last year. I want to say prayers up for Chris Paul. I hope that he can get over this injury as fast as he can because I'd love to see a healthy Suns coming at the Lakers. And I also, even though I want the Lakers to win, I wouldn't mind seeing Chris Paul run on this postseason table and get a ring because he deserves it. He's a great player. He's one of all-time greats. So hopefully he can be healthy, I hope that he's not just used as a decoy out there, that he can truly be Chris Paul. DeAndre Ayton has been great so far for Phoenix, which is what they need, but can he keep it up? He is someone that I didn't expect to have a great series because of the fact that he's having to guard AD and, and, and Drummond and potentially Harold, you know, and that he would get into some foul trouble. But so far, he's done a good job of not fouling too much, playing some good defense, and being very efficient on the offensive end as well. So Aiden taking a big step so far this postseason. And hopefully people don't just see him now as that guy that got picked before Luka. They'll see Marvin Bagley as that. <laughs> but he... Aiden is a great player, you know, and someone who's going to keep getting better, I think. Should be in the conversations of not elite center, but a tier below, like like someone like a Bam or a Capella or, you know, Valanciunas in that conversation of center. He's pretty dang good. I want to see AD keep playing like he did in game two. He was a little more aggressive, get to the free throw line, and also just all around was way more engaged, it felt like. So... Hopefully that AD continues to play. I heard that he kept shooting in the gym after game one and wouldn't leave until he got his shot right, he said. So I'm excited to see that Davis, you know, we know what he has, what it takes to go on an elite postseason run. And I believe he's going to expect more of himself going forward. I don't know if we're going to see those dud games. I think he, there's a chance that AD is truly back to normal. This is the first playoff games in Staples and forever. First playoff wins in Staples, hopefully soon too. So I think there's going to be a little bit of extra motivation from that. And I think that we're going to see a more aggressive LeBron as well. He hasn't really been driving to the basket too much, but I think we might see that change this game now that AD had a little bit of a better game last game. Teams are going to be, Aiden's going to be a little more focused on him. Maybe help might come over as well. So you might see LeBron get a little more free throw attempts, get a little more aggressive in attacking the basket this game. Mavs, Clippers... Luka Doncic is potentially here starting his taking the throne from LeBron, I think. Because, you, I mean, you guys heard my playoff prediction preview. I said that the Clips should win this one and win it pretty quick. Only way they don't is if Luka has a god-tier playoff series. And so far, that's exactly what's happening. He's been sensational for Dallas. You know, totally controlling the game shit-talking his defenders as he scores on them. I mean, this is Luka realizing that he's the best player on the court in this series. And that's in a series with Paul George and Kawhi. Luka is the best player on this court. Sorry for the desktop there. That was a little extra. But, you know, Luka is just showing so much to me. LeBron, like, not early LeBron, but like modern, late, later LeBron, like early Lakers, you know, late Cavs LeBron. He has a lot of that in his game to me. I'm excited to see how he gets continually better from here, which is hard to say, but he probably will. It's usually these guys just don't peak in their third, fourth season, you know? He has really stepped it up. Porzingis has been giving the Mavs some good minutes as well. I know he got crossed by Paul George and everyone's going to look at that, but he has made his shots and has provided some good spacing for Dallas. You know, even if he's not making them, at least there's the threat of him making them that you have to take seriously. And that's what allows Luka to get to the baskets as easy as he does. He's also a great talent, but when the other big is out on the perimeter focused on Porzingis, it's hard to be in the paint to cover up defensively and help Luka when he's being guarded one-on-one. Now, I know that Paul George and Kawhi have been pretty good on offense in this series, but to me, they need to take it on themselves to stop Luka. Those two guys, don't switch. Don't let Luka get the matchup he wants. You need to guard him this whole time. 
because you guys are supposedly these elite two-way players. There's no reason Nick Batum or Beverly or Morris should be guarding these guys. This is your job. You're the star. You're getting paid for it. Show up and get your money's worth. Kawhi especially because he, everyone was saying this guy's one of the best defenders of all time. And if that's the case, why is Luka doing this? Uh, I'm excited for game three. I think that the Mavs have a chance to really blow up the Clippers. If they, I mean, if the Clippers lose a round one to Dallas, there's potential that that roster looks a lot different coming into next season with Kawhi having an opt-out option. He could leave. Or you could opt out and say, hey, we got to make so-and-so roster changes for me to come back. And then that's when you see someone like Paul George get traded. I saw one that someone recommended. I think it might have been Bill Simmons on the Bill Simmons podcast. It was Paul George uh, for Brandon Ingram, which I think there might have to be a little bit more pieces involved. But as a general deal, I think that's one that both teams would probably take because Pelicans need more of a win-now guy, and Ingram is someone that can hopefully, if Kawhi you know, starts to get older and stuff, you have Ingram that can be that main guy. I like Ingram a lot too. He has a really nice offensive game. I just wish he would take a little bit less shots. That's all, just a little bit. I'm really excited to see if Kawhi takes it personally that Luka's been doing this good, because he should. Jazz Grizzlies. Can the Grizzlies pull off this upset? I mean, I think I mentioned in game one that the only way that they win the game one is if Mitchell's out. And he did end up being out in what was a very odd controversy because everyone thought he was going to play. And then all of a sudden he wasn't. I don't know what happened there, but they stepped up and won game one in the absence of Mitchell. For me, this is a must win for Memphis tonight, though, because I think if Mitchell, he came back yesterday and did great. And the Jazz ended up being the Grizzlies and are now potentially going to take the momentum. If they win this next game, I could see this being a 4-1 series and we're out of there quickly. You know, the Jazz have to also make their shots. And that's something that they definitely did this last game. I think they had six or seven players in double-digit scoring. Can they keep it up? Whose role players are going to keep up their continuous great play so far? I'm excited to see that because at the end of the day, John and Donovan Mitchell kind of neutralize each other. It's all about the others. Theoretically, the Jazz's others are way better, but these Grizzlies, they're young, they're hungry, and they might just want to take down the number one seed. And this has been a fun one to watch. Shout out to John Morant because he looks like he is leveling up. He looks like he's taking that elite point guard step this year, 47 points. What an outstanding game. Did everything he can to keep his team in it. The refereeing was a little shady that game, but that's neither here nor there. You know, referee could be shady in any game. It's no excuse, you know. I'm really excited to see if we can get a Jordan Clarkson, like a 30-point game off the bench or something. I, I The way that D. Rose just went off because the six-man role in the playoffs is one that gets overlooked a lot because a lot of people are focused on who's your starting five, who's your closing five, etc. But I think that the sixth man is key to keeping up that flow of the game, that offensive pace when the starters need to get a breather. So hopefully we can see a big game out of Jordan Clarkson here in this next one. And the final series that I want to talk about was Denver and Portland. Uh, game one, Portland took, and it looked really bad for Denver. They had no answer for those perimeter scores of Portland, and they didn't in game two until Aaron Gordon got switched onto Damian Lillard. And Aaron Gordon showed why they just went and traded for him because he locked him up in the second half of that game. Can he continue that performance? And will they just put him on there more? You know, why even have a Composito or a Morris out there if these guys aren't elite distributors? Your main distributor is a Nikola Jokic. So why have these point guards out there? Why not just bring out all forwards? You go Aaron Gordon, Paul Millsap, Michael Porter Jr., Will Barton, and Jokic. And that team's going to have a great defensive length. That team is going to have a lot of guys that are good at cutting off of Jokic. And Jokic is totally capable of taking over this series, as he showed in Game 2. He was dominant. Nurkic was in foul trouble the whole game, and Jokic really had his way with Portland. And that's what I thought I was going to see more of. Hopefully we do see more of that in this next one. It could really go either way, though, because both these teams 
with Lillard and Jokic just have these guys that can take over games and put the team on their back when they need to. Portland's been going with a shorter rotation, which they might have to expand if someone like Nurkic gets in foul trouble. We may have to see more canter minutes, which is a win for Denver, if you ask me. Those canter minutes, uh, while he's a great offensive rebound, as we all know, he's not a great defender. And Jokic was carving everyone up, and especially will carve up Cantor if he gets more playing time in this next one. So that was my recap of those first two games. Overall, nothing too surprising to me other than the Mavs just taking two in L.A. and getting ready to come back with a chance to sweep them in Dallas. That's probably the biggest shock so far. I'm excited for these next few rounds of games, and the first round to me is always the best I'm not gonna lie because just there's basketball like all the time it feels like especially last year in the bubble when they were just playing games you know throughout the day that was so fun I wish they would do that now instead of having like they are with these two seven o'clock time slot games I think that's kind of dumb you're making viewers choose or at least flip back and forth and miss some of the main action like tonight I won't be watching too much of Denver and Portland you know I'm gonna keep up on it but the Lakers Suns is the same time so why would I be watching that it just doesn't make sense. I hope that they can, maybe it's gonna be on the weekends only, which sucks, but I do understand why. But hopefully we can see some excellent playing basketball, playoff basketball going forward. I wanna talk about the WNBA. ESPN PR just tweeted out that average viewership so far is up 45% for the WNBA, which is incredible. I love to see it. I know I've been watching, Not I can't say I've been watching a ton because the NBA playoffs has been on and I'm also a working man, but I have been trying to catch into a game here or there or at least watching highlights on social media. Sabrina Ionescu is to me a big reason for this. There's a lot of reasons, I'm gonna break them down, but she's probably the biggest reason so far in that she is a budding superstar. In just her sixth game, she got a triple-double. That's unheard of. In male or female basketball, it's unheard of. So that's been cool. Also with the State Farm ad that she has now, you're seeing them market her as a superstar, and I think it's gonna work because we all loved when we found out, I found out how much she was tied with Kobe and stuff. That had me really like her as a player now. And I think it's, if you're the WNBA, you gotta look at the way the NBA has done it in the past decade with marketing their superstars. And there aren't as many players or people now that are a fan of teams, they're a fan of players. They have LeBron fans who have gone with him from all his destinations, KD, uh, Westbrook, you know, these guys that have been to multiple places and their fans are still showing out for it because they just like the player that much. With today's social media era, there's no reason why you know all these women can't be marketed in the same way. And I hope this increase continues. It's it's really cool. Anyone that loves basketball, it doesn't matter if they, they don't dunk. I mean, that's the excuse everyone says. It doesn't matter. If you really love basketball, it's the same thing. And if anything, because they can't dunk, there have to be other ways to score that are a little more skillful. A lot more emphasis on the handles and passing. And it's really nice to see it because it's a good change of pace too than the NBA. You still got girls like uh, Sue Bird and Diana Tassari who are at their old age, you know, still producing and putting up numbers. I know Diana just had a double-double, I think the 44th of her career the other night, which congrats to her. The WNBA, man, making some serious moves here. Another reason why I think this is happening too is Candace Parker and I don't want to butcher this. I looked it up before. Hopefully I get it right. Chani Aguamika. Chani Aguamika. Uh, sorry if that's wrong, but, you know, with their roles in television that they've had on The Jump and on the TNT Tuesday crew, they have been great at showcasing to this national basketball NBA audience that... Not that it was ever in question by, you know, normal basketball fans, but there are some that are just kind of ignorant and thought, you know what, these women don't know as much about the game, but they have shown that 
not only do they not know just as much, they probably know more. And it's really been cool to see Candace Parker just take Shaq to town on multiple occasions this season. I loved every second of it. Candace Parker is a more modern basketball player, and so she understands the modern game a little more than Shaq, who, when he played, there wasn't nearly the three-point shooting and spacing him nowadays. And multiple times this year, Candace Parker has just torn Shaq a new one, just roasting him on, on bad basketball commentary or, you know, just, just showcasing her knowledge of the game. And with Chani, she's been great on the jump. She always provides great points and seems to break down the game a little more than some of the other analysts, like a Brian Windhorse or something. Seems to go more in depth into certain aspects of the game that only a player can go into, you know? Seeing both of those people on big TV audiences show just how much of the knowledge they have on the game has been great and I think we need more of it you know I hope that when Sue Bird and Diana Tassari retire that maybe they potentially consider a role in, in media you know obviously too, they could do whatever they want and all power to them but I would love to see more of these uh, retired or, or even current these two Candace Parker and Janae WNBA players commenting on the game or announcing games even like a, like a Doris Burke, who isn't a, I don't believe a WNBA player, but she played in college ball. She might be a WNBA player. Sorry if I'm ignorant on that, Doris, because you are the best on commentary, and we all love you, but we need more of it. We really do. I love seeing women be more involved in the basketball space, and I hope it's something that continues to grow because there's no reason why the viewership disparity should be the way it is. And it's something that even I have to own up to because, you know, growing up, I think I've touched on this before, like, I wasn't watching WNBA at all. And I was even, I was a dumb kid, I didn't understand, but I was making WNBA jokes because that's just what we saw online and it was just, it was just kids being dumb. But as I grow older and I see that there's actually a lot of sexism tied into why they aren't viewed as much as the NBA and all these varying factors, I see how stupid some of that stuff was and still is. And it's led to me growing as a person and appreciating the game more because I'm now able to see what it's like when it's not like LeBron James just dunking down the lane and stuff. It's, it's team basketball, it's ball movement, but still with stars in place. So it's really been fun to watch. And I can't wait. I hope the ratings keep up. It's something that I want to make sure to talk about this podcast because I think it's very important. So that's my WNBA talk. I know it wasn't too long, but it's something that even as I more get involved in the game and have more knowledge with the current WNBA, it's something that hopefully I can talk about more in the future. I just don't want to overextend myself and make a fool out of myself talking when when I'm not even watching all the games. I want to sound knowledgeable. I want to actually be knowledgeable before I'm just throwing out bullshit. So shout out to the WNBA. That's been really cool. Wanted to transition to a little bit of just other sports talk in general, starting with Tim Tebow. He has the best-selling jersey in the NFL, which is an insult just because it's a Jaguars jersey, first of all, and those boys are kind of ugly. I, I don't like those Jaguar uniforms whatsoever. I miss the old ones with the, the teal, I believe it was, with the MJD days and Fred Taylor. Those were really good, and I miss those ones, but, you know, Nike, just like they have in the NBA, in my opinion, are just doing the most with the uniforms. They're doing too much. I understand you want to sell jerseys. I understand it's about money, but also when you have it right, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We're seeing some of the ugliest uniforms out there, like these Heat uniforms that they wore in game one, where they were looking like the Indiana Pacers out there. Like, why? That's terrible. It makes people just confused, if anything. And Tim Tebow, the question is, is it fair that he's getting this opportunity at tight end when he has no NFL tight end experience and hasn't played in the NFL in years? 
is it fair that he's taken away a job from someone who, you know, genuinely needs that roster spot because they need to feed their family and whatnot? No, it's not fair. That's that's the short answer is no, it's not fair, right? But a big answer, and I guess the bigger question you have to ask yourself is, does it have to be fair? And that answer is also no. At the end of the day, these owners are not just about winning. They're about their pocketbooks. They're about getting a lot of money and a Jaguars franchise that really has been down in the dumps for a few years. Now they got Trevor Lawrence and Tim Tebow, which hopefully can make it so that they get more money because I, I wouldn't want to see them leave Jacksonville. I don't even know if that's on the table. I know they've talked about it before, maybe going to London, but I don't want to see them leave Jacksonville. They're always the Jacksonville Jaguars, the same way the Chargers are the, the San Diego Chargers. I don't want to see them at the same time, though, make their taxpayers have to pay for a stadium because Mr. Khan is a rich man, and he has no reason why he can't fund the stadium himself, especially with all these Tim Tebow jersey sales. I think he's going to probably not make the 53-man the roster, to be honest. I, I'd be really surprised, but... Tim Tebow is someone who has constantly surprised me in his career, whether it was winning those games in Denver or that national championship in Florida or just deciding to play baseball. Tim Tebow is someone who has always gone against the grain and does what he wants to do. For that, all the power to you. Is it a little messed up? Sure, there are more probably talented football players available on the market. But at the end of the day, muddy is what makes the world go round. Cash rolls everything around me cream. It's the money dollar dollar bill y'all. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, Tim Tebow is gonna just sell a lot of jerseys and they might keep him on the roster through the season for that purpose. Another similar situation is J. Cole. J. Cole, if you are not aware, is playing in the Basketball African League and he wasn't terrible, I would say, but he wasn't great either. He's just like a, like a role player level type of guy over there. Maybe a lower level role player. Terrell Stockland, who is one of the best scorers, he's going for MVP over in that league. He's saying it's, it's disrespectful to the game for J. Cole to be over there because there are people who's had hoop dreams, you know, their whole life and grind and similar situation to the Jaguars, one where they need that job potentially to help feed their family or themselves. But with J. Cole, he gets to just come in. He's 36, I believe, 37 years old. And he gets to just come in and, and get this playing time and stuff. Now, the Patriots, the Rwanda Patriots say that it was all skill-based decision and that they thought J. Cole was talented enough to make the roster. But I do understand why someone would be upset. The only thing I would have to say to Terrell Stogman would be that at least all this attention is going over to your basketball league. I mean... I, no disrespect, I didn't know who you were before J. Cole went over there. And now I see, hey, this guy's a good scorer, and he looks like he's a great ball player, and this league looks pretty fun. It's not something I think I'm going to be tuning into too much just because it's all the way overseas, and I'm mainly just into the American sports. I don't pay much attention to European soccer as well, but I think that the attention, though, has been good for the league. They probably have made a little bit more money than they usually do with J. Cole being there, right? And I don't think J. Cole is unaware of this. I think J. Cole knows that him going over there is taking away a spot for someone else. I think he knows that. He's only on a five-game con five contract, I believe, three games. He's already gone. And while he was there, he was giving out free shoes. And yes, it was part of like a publicity thing with his album coming out. But I think that it's cool to see someone who had this dream and they couldn't chase it at the time. But for them to come back and accomplish their goal of playing professional basketball, they must have put in the work. From what I've heard, uh, I believe he trained with Drew Hanlon, I want to say. I could totally be wrong on that. But from what I heard, he just really improved and, and got better at basketball for the past like year and a half, couple years. He's really worked hard to improve his game. And if he can go out there and score, which, you know, he wasn't super efficient, but he scored a few times. He had that cool block uh, on the drive. I mean, 
more power to them. And, and at the end of the day, I think that it's a little bit of uh, uh, envy, potentially your jealousy, just from the attention. Because it's like this guy is playing like a bum and he's getting all this attention. Meanwhile, I'm dropping 30 a night. And no one cares. Not no one cares, but no, not as much as they care about J. Cole scoring a layup. But at the end of the day, I think overall it was a good thing. I think it was cool to see J. Cole go over there. Of course, I am saying that as a J. Cole fan. And with that being said, I wanted to just end it with a little bit of miscellaneous talk. And first, we're going to start with some music. Because J. Cole put out an album, The Off Season, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's, I was talking with one of my friends saying that uh, 2014 Forest Hills Drive will always be number one for me on his discography, but you're going to see this and Friday Night Lights and Born Sinner and KOD are similar to Kanye, how like depending on your mood, one's second, one's first, it's going to be the same type of thing because this is just another great body of work by Cole. And my highlights, I really loved my life. Moray kills it on the chorus. And 21 with the line, he says, he sends teddy bears to all the mamas after they cry, after he, he's killed their son, which is like the most gangster, but like soft line at the same time. 21 is just, is he someone that's just gotten so much better since I first heard him? I really love 21 Savage now. Other highlights, 95 South is a great intro with Kill Cam on there and the Lil John sample in the end. It was just hype. It put an M up on the head. You Luigi's brother now. Applying the pressure is really good with... I love the little lasers in the beginning. It's also the same stuff I think Kanye used on uh, Ghost Town part one with the little uh, I can't really mimic it but these little laser popping sounds in the beginning were really good and he just spits and that's what he does on this whole album J. Cole is just spitting you know it's not some big overarching narrative it's just him rapping and getting it off you know getting off his his feelings his words everything that he's had for the past few years and doing it really well. I mean, on, on like a, a Freddie Gibbs level of like efficiency and, and mastery. And that's what we should expect from J. Cole. He's someone who's arguably top five in the past decade. We look to see stuff like that from him, even at this age. And it's cool to see he still has that fire. Uh, Punch in the clock with the Dame Lillard interview was so sick. All the basketball references on here are really dope. My favorite is on my life, though, is, is John Moran, I'm on my Grizzly. You people is Cubs, but not the ones in the big leagues. And I'm going to be selling out Wrigley. And, oh, that's just a fire little set of bars, sports bars right there. From a man who clearly is really into sports as he just played professional. So I loved J. Cole's album. I thought it kind of got a little weak in the middle, but uh, it ended strong again with Close and with some of the tracks he previously released and, you know, like the interlude track. And overall, really big fan of the album. It's one that's still in my rotation. It's been like a week or so. It hasn't even been longer. It might have been, but still in my rotation. I really thoroughly enjoyed that. Olivia Rodrigo, she put out an album, Sour, and it's, it's really looking like she's going to be the next like young female artists to just go on this decade run. She's really set in place for that. I, I love a lot of the songs on here. And it's, it's coming from a raw, emotional place for someone who's young and heartbroken, which we've all been through. You know, whether you're a girl or a guy, you, you can relate to, to a heartbreak. The parallel parking line that everyone's talking about on the intro track, that one is really funny. And just, you could tell she's got different uh, like style aesthetics too, similar to like a Taylor Swift where Taylor did the country, right? Then she had pop and now, now she's kind of into more folky type music as in the last couple releases. And it's similar styles. You had songs where it was looking a little punk-ish, a little, little alt-rock-ish. Um, you had songs that were clearly just some pop songs. And then you had some, some slow ballads on here as well. Just a load of talent from Olivia Rodrigo. I'm excited to see what she keeps doing. I can't say 
I was too keen to her before driver's license. I know she was, I heard she was in like high school musical soundtrack or something. I, I, I didn't verify that at all though, but she's really got something going here and I hope that she can continue it. Deja Vu is a great one. Brutal, just a great way to kick it off with the anger that you feel, you know, when you first get your heart broken, it, it's anger and then it's sadness, I feel like, right? So it's it's cool to see her process these stages of grief and eventually come out at the end. She's asking if, are you, are you okay? And it just seems like she's really going to be the next superstar. One, one of the next ones, you know, of this new generation. And I'm excited to see her career unfold. Paris, Texas. They are a little duo. I don't know if they're actually out of Paris, Texas. I wonder if Paris, Texas is even a place. These are questions, you know, Cooper, that you might want to look up before you start. <laughs> um, but they just put out a uh, album, Boy Anonymous, and it is some of the most like mind-blowing stuff I've listened to. Not because it's just like this superb level of, of gift in terms of like vocal talent or anything, but it's just so creative. It's taking a lot of elements of like metal and punk and, and combining them with some trap. And it's been so fun to listen to. That's been probably my main rotation play lately. Heavy metal is probably my favorite banger of the year. <laughs> he, some of the bars on there are just ridiculous. He goes, he goes walk in my hood for a second. They might put you in the dirt. Born this way must be a curse. Shawty, don't suck dick, that's a first. Said she was playing, that she go to work. Aim for her mouth and I burst like a gun or a semi. I mean, just ridiculous lines and really matches the energy of the track. But also, while they have these kind of bangers, they also have these more, you know, like, almost like alt-rock sounding cuts, like a situation. Hey now, it's a situation. I'm just singing on my podcast, but <laughs> that's been my mainstay on the rotation just because it sounds so different. If you haven't heard it yet, please, please give it a chance. It's it's so different and unique, and I can, I, I'm out all the guys I'm talking about most excited for their future work just because to me it has, you know, like when they say that they heard something and immediately knew like, oh, these guys are gonna be big. It's it's similar to what I first heard when I first heard Brock Hampton back in high school. I remember thinking like, wow, like this is gonna be huge. They're gonna blow up, and and, and sure enough, they did, and are real popular now. Paris, Texas has that originality, but also the talent and the multi genres. They to me just seem like it'd be hard to see them not having success in the mainstream in the future. So I think that they bring check out Paris, Texas if you can. They are the next big thing to me. And finally, I just wanted to talk about the Alchemists album that just came out. Just four tracks, uh, eight if you count the instrumentals. And he's just probably a top five producer for me all time. He's so talented. And these beats are another example of why. He, they just, he's so good at creating a mood and a vibe. Like on the first song, Nobles, with Earl Navy Blue, when he has the intro, it's all, it sounds so uplifting. It's dun 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 and dun 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 he does a good job of just creating like a joyfulness to this beat and especially with his audio in the intro where it's some little boy i think reading about how you can't lose the sadness or or you can't let him make you sad or something i can't remember it right now but does a great job of just setting the tone right there and then Earl Navy going back and forth with their bars instead of just having a verse and then uh, another verse by the other. They were going back and forth, bouncing bars off of each other. And you just felt this sense of joy as you were hearing it. And all these beats, you kind of just feel the sense of just emotion. Uh, the last one, Loose Change with Earl, that one sounds almost like... Like you came out, you like a flower that sprouted. You came out of this like 
cloud or, or whatever you had going on. And now you're vibing, you're happy, you're loose, you know, as the title is called. And I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Alchemist because, you know, he's not some big mainstream guy, but he's probably one of the best producers of all time. So quick shout out to him. And finally, before I go, I did just want to talk a little bit about Top Shot and 2K. Now, Top Shot, if you aren't aware, it's all these basketball NFTs where it's essentially a video highlight and they're minted out of certain numbers and you could own them. Like, I own 71 at the moment. My favorite one being my Julius Randle All-Star dunk because it's rare and, and because I just, he's a former Laker and I'm happy to see him succeed. So Julius Randle All-Star dunk's gotta be my favorite one that I own. I really wanna get the Russell Westbrook cool cast moment. That one's cool, it's the game winner against Brooklyn from three. I wanna get some of those Giannis MVP moments for sure. Definitely interested in the Lou Williams Meagle and that stands for metallic gold. I don't know how that's the term that we came up with, but the community likes it, so I, I like it too. <laughs> and that's why I really like Top Shot, because it's, it's like the sports card thing, but it's a little bit more of a community, I feel like. And also, I, f I see more potential with these than sports cards down the line when this is an asset that you can keep forever, and it's always going to be in perfect condition. You're never going to bend the corners, you know, because it's a video. And the way they're talking about having it utility so that you could potentially use them for rewards at games and whatnot. Also, it sounds cool that there's potentially devices where you could hang some of these moments in your home, kind of like artwork in a way. So I'm really excited to see where Top Shot heads. I know the market's been going down for a little bit, but that's because they've had to expand to get more people involved. And as they state, this isn't a short-term thing for them. They're thinking decades down the line. They see this as something that is gonna be cherished for generations and that maybe you could pass these down the same way that you do with sports cards. They're like collectibles. It's the same thing. And I'm really excited to keep getting more Top Shots. I think they're super cool and they're super fun to show my friends these highlights that I own. And I like the artwork on some of them. It's just a cool vibe in the community that now there's like NBA Top Shot. This is a term people use when there's a highlight play, which is so cool. And some of the people in the space are really cool. The Soto Sisters, the First Mint, very cool people in the space that really speak for a big audience and, and do it well. They represent us very well. And I want to shout out to them for being a big part of this win. I know it's probably not the most financially lucrative right now, but for them, it's about the fun of it. And that's what it's about for me at the end of the day too. Obviously, I hope that down the road, these are worth a good amount of money. Not gonna lie, I, I do hope that. But I also think that if you're in it for that, you're in it for the wrong reasons. I'm in it because I'm a huge basketball fan. And also because I think NFTs are kind of cool. They're kind of the future. I strongly encourage you to get on the NBA Top Shot if you aren't already on there and collect some moments. They're, they're fun to showcase. They're fun to share. And big things are always going to be coming down the line with Top Shot. All new moments, playoff moments are going to be really fun to watch to see who gets them, what moments out of how many they're going to be. And I know I'm hoping that we get some sort of cool pack drop coming soon that's a little more on the expensive side because I still have yet to get an expensive pack. I've only gotten the cheap ones. I want to try getting an expensive one and seeing how that goes. So then finally some 2K talk because... Look, 2K is always going to be a fun game to play with your homies when they're at your crib, but in terms of a solo experience, it's not that fun. There's so many glitches. Half the time the roster doesn't update. Half the time you go out to the main menu. My team gets ridiculous after a while when centers are making three-pointers like Yao Ming. That doesn't make the game fun. I think that Top Shot has kind of taken my attention from my team. I don't play my team nearly as much as I used to because why would I grind hard to have these digital players when I can have digital clips of players that I don't gotta grind for. I just gotta buy these moments and I get to share them and they're more and more accessible to everyone. So 2K's really gotta step their game up. I think that my career has been an experience that's slowly gotten worse over time. The storylines half the time are suit 
way too cheesy. If you're playing just offline, they should let you be able to ball out with your guy and get 99 everything. I don't see why you have to have limits on the position if you're playing by yourself. Or even so, don't put limits on the position then. And then when you go to park, put it to the limits. It's dumb that they put limits on a video game as to how you can make your basketball player. Terrible. The My GM, uh, my league experience sucks. There's lots of glitches when simulating where your stats for your guys aren't correct at all. And I want the multiplayer in my GM experience to be better. Hopefully you can play it a little faster than like one day at a time, which is beyond me why they thought that was a good idea. And 2K's got to be careful because I think that eventually with enough complaints and there's all sorts of complaints from the 2K community, you're going to see other games start to pop up. Or maybe the NBA looks and says, hey, well, let's give EA a chance again. I, I hope not. Maybe some other company, not EA though, because EA fucked it up. You know, they had their chance to come back and compete and they suck too. So right now it's similar to Madden where like they have the only game available for that sport and so they're able to dominate the market. It's a true shame. I am not about it. And that is all I have to say about 2K. I'm probably not gonna be getting it too often from now on. If so, it will be like never right when it comes out again. It'll be a couple months down the line when it's on sale around Christmas or whatever because they just have put out a terrible product for the past couple seasons now and I don't wanna keep supporting that. So that's gonna end the podcast there. Thank you for tuning in. Next episode should be talking about some more NBA playoff action. Also, I'm going to want to dive in to some NFL preview work. Also with some NFL drama going on lately with Aaron Rodgers and Julio Jones, which has been fantastic. It's been nothing but fireworks for the NFL. So that's going to be in the next episode and maybe even a little baseball talk. We shall see. I might save that for a little bit down the line, but overall excited to where this podcast is heading it's gonna just keep growing like i've mentioned previously before and i'm excited to have you guys witness it because it's something that's really special to me and i just want to share it with y'all so thank you for tuning in and have a nice day i will see y'all later peace Thank you.